This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area, it is episode 674 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm your head number one, the internist Joe Patrick, and I'm here to tell you just because Tom King kills Guy Gardner doesn't mean he's actually dead. My name is Matt Baum, your head number two, and I don't understand what the big deal is. I've been calling for the death of Guy Gardner for years because everybody knows Nort rules and should have that spotlight. I don't even have the time or the strength to argue with you. The Cosmic Long Box returns this week, and for those of you new to the show, it is a sentient, powerful cosmic relic we uncovered that tracks comics across the time stream and forces us to discuss and review back issues based on a theme. That sound you hear is the Cosmic Long Box opening and bathing us in tachyons, hurling us through time, which means it's back issue review time in the ziggurat. With a new and very well-reviewed Predator movie hitting Hulu, the Cosmic Longbox decided we should take a look at the ugly motherfucker's tenure in comics. Almost immediately after the first Predator's box office success, Dark Horse scooped up the comic license for Predator, and the hunt was no longer just focused on Schwarzenegger and Danny Glover. It wouldn't be long before the Predator would take on the likes of Batman, the Terminator, and even Archie. It all started with Predator number one at Dark Horse in 1989, which led ultimately to Predator number one at Marvel, which hit stands this week. We will cover both and more, but Joe, take us back to where the hunt all started. Predator came out in 1987, right? The movie? Mm-hmm. 1987? And this was 1989. Well, like right. late and 87, 88, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, but, and then Predator 2 came out in what, 1990? Uh, 1990, and then it was like the next Predator movie came out in like 2010. 2010, yeah. (laughs) As Matt said, we're talking about Predator number one from Dark Horse. The year was 1989. It is written by Mark Verheiden with art by Chris Warner. Here's your solicit. Yeah, that's right. It's not a setup. It's a solicit. The Predators are back. Only this time their hunting ground isn't the tropical jungles of South America. It's the concrete and steel jungles of New York City. It's the hottest summer on record, and Detective Schaefer suspects that his brother's disappearance is somehow tied to the wave of gruesome murders plaguing New York. This is the very first Predator comic. It would later be reprinted by Dark Horse as Predator, colon, Concrete Jungle. Fun fact, this story is a direct sequel to the first Predator movie, and it was supposed to star Arnold Schwarzenegger's Dutch, but it was changed into a cop story instead, starring Dutch's brother, NYPD Detective Schaefer, because nothing says I have a brother from New York like a thick Austrian accent. Not to mention the brother looks like a twin. I mean, like, that's Schwarzenegger. And, but also, he's like, he's also like a hardcore New Yorker, like, this is my city, scumbags. Yeah, but I couldn't hear like, it other than, this is my city, scumbag, you know? And like, <laughs> and he's got the yeah, hair and everything. You know? like, yeah, he does look exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Verheiden's script strikes that pitch-perfect 80s cop movie tone with angry squad leaders threatening out-of-control cops and their cowboy antics. It also reads very much like an urban version of the Predator movie script with tough guy characters gritting their teeth through tough guy lines. 
Fun fact number two, Mark Verheiden also wrote the first ever Alien comic for Dark Horse, as well as the film scripts for Dark Horse properties The Mask and Time Cop, the latter of which he created. Mark Verheiden created Time Cop. You say that like anyone under 45 will know what that is. <laughs> you all know what Time oh, Cop is. Oh, the rich history like of Time don't. Cop? <laughs> The art by Chris Warner is really great. It's mean and gritty, and it straddles the line between 80s action movie extreme and 90s pouch comic extreme. I do wish that Chris Chalinor's colors had been a little less dark and monochrome during the night scenes. Uh, I get that it's the seedy underbelly of New York City after dark, but still, it made some scenes a bit hard to read. Predator Concrete Jungle number one is a worthy successor to the original film, and I think the change in venue was a smart choice. This was a lot of fun, giving it a buy it. Okay, let me blow your mind here, and and we're going to jump from Time Cop to Predator in not six degrees, but one degree. The Predator was originally played by Jean-Claude Van Damme in the movie. He refused to do it because they he found out he had to wear a mask and they wouldn't show oh, his face. Oh, they wanted to cover the muscles from Brussels. He ended up as the time cop in 1994, Jean-Claude Van Damme. And just like Predator, there was a massive jump between sequels. We didn't get the next time cop until 2003. That doesn't anything. But that also, but that did not star Jean-Claude Van Damme either. No, Time Cop starred Van Damme. No, the second no, one not did the not. Sequel. The sequel, no. 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 So the JVD Predator story is he was mad that he was just like a stuntman that honked him off that he had to hide behind the mask and stuff. Like Basically, they wanted to yeah. start it. But yeah, like, guess what? Because nobody knew who you were, knew who you were in 1987. Well, yeah. Jean-Claude Van Damme. But he, you know, he thought he was gonna do more martial arts and stuff too, and he put the costume on and was like, uh <laughs> I can't backflip in this. No, this is absolutely just a predator in New York. It's fun. They even have a scene where all the bad guys are, what's that? something's out there i can't see it and they're like it's over there open fire and just like that scene in the jungle where they like cut down the jungle they shoot a whole wall out of an apartment in this one so it's all there no idea why this isn't the original dutch it is very well written it felt like reading and like a late 80s action film all the way down to Detective Schaefer pulling his gigantic Desert Eagle 50 caliber handgun. And right. Like It's all here. But this was fun. And they were just, at the time, they weren't blazing a lot of new ground with the Predator. This was the first Predator comic book. So they just did what they were doing in Predator. And, and of course, it should just be like, you know, the next movie, I guess. Which, later on... The Predator does come to New York and attack a cop. It is not Schaefer's brother. It's Danny Glover. But, you know, what can you do? (laughs) I'm giving it a buy. My thought is that uh, they probably looked at this and, and, and thought, you know, we can probably get some sequels out of this. And also, it doesn't really make any sense. You can't have Dutch go from, like deep cover black ops guy to New York city to detective in two years. That's no. just not how it's done. <laughs> no. Um, and so I think that they wanted to do it. They like, they were like, Oh, let's do a cop story. And we'll just make the guy Dutch's brother, which I think is a smart move because I think the storytelling, I think that storytelling opportunities would have been limited if you had literally used Dutch. Yeah. Seems kind of silly. Okay. So obviously they had already written it and drawn it before they made a decision not to call him that. <laughs> Cause this is him. No question. It's him. Can they be stopped by the ultimate galactic hunter? Predator! The battle is on. Aliens versus Predator, the hunter against the beast. An alien killer crab attack. Let's jump from the cops back to the military and talk about Predator Big Game, number one from Dark Horse. The year was 1991. This was written by John Arcudi with art 
by Evan Dorkin. I also have a solicit here. Corporal Enoch Nakai is a young American Indian with a bad past and even worse present. Stationed in the American Southwest, he and his good old army buddy, Deedle, go on a recon patrol to investigate a small disturbance, but discover that the disturbance is anything but small. Try a seven-foot bad attitude extraterrestrial who's armed to the teeth and looking for trouble, even though Nakai sees a resemblance between the Predator and the legendary Indian I'm not even going to try to say that. Aldegashil. Aldegashi? Adilgashi. Adilgashi. That haunts. Sound it out, man. A D I L G A S H A. All right. That haunts his nightmares. It's clear that the alien has more on his mind than invading people's dreams. Big Game was Dark Horse's second original Predator miniseries after Concrete Jungle, and it featured two of my favorite creators of the 90s. John Arcudi's name had been attached to several of the better Dark Horse hero comics, including The Machine, which I love. Dorkin is the creator of Milk and Cheese, a humor strip about two angry dairy products with a love of gin and violence. You might know him better these days from Beasts of Burden. If you haven't checked it out, you should. It's wonderful. Arcudi's writing is great. Spends time giving us the feel for the culture of the 90s desert army base and how Nakai is treated differently because of his Navajo background. The Predator stuff is what you'd expect for the time. No one had really dug into Predator society or motivations at this point. So the monster is really just a slasher villain like Jason Voorhees from space. We see all the cool weapons introduced in the first two movies as the Predator takes apart GIs with ease. The story is very straightforward, and I'd need to read a little more before I could honestly call myself invested. I know I read this back in the day, but I have no memory of it. The last page does have ramifications that will definitely have the military interested, though. The cover art is fantastic. It's a full frontal view of the maskless predator pointing its shoulder cannon at the nerd about to read the comic, and it really got me excited for Dorkin's art. Then I realized this is not a Dorkin <laughs> cover. Chris Warner was on cover duty, and Dorkin's art, while not bad, <laughs> is at best not very consistent either. <laughs> there are some panels that look good, as long as his predators wear the mask, he looks scary. When it comes off, things get a little comical. He's kind of got like a cookie monster face. <laughs> he does a really nice job drawing the cloaking ability, which had to be difficult before digital FX were a thing. I love Dorkin, but this may have been early in his career when he was still figuring yes. out his penciling style. It's not the Evan Dorkin that I recognize. I've given this a skim it. I like the choice of the Navajo character and feeling like an outsider coming across the predator and seeing it differently than all the other, you know, white guy GIs might deal with it, but it's just a skim. It. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I have a thought about that since you brought it up, the native hero that can sense something in the air about the, pre that's in every predator story. Oh, every sure. predator story. God sure. damn it. Yeah, that was it was in the original Predator. It's not the it was second in, one. <laughs> it was in it was in Big Game. Unless you're saying it Gary Busey in, had those abilities. Uh, it was in uh, it was in that uh, that one about the Civil War that you're going to do later. It's in the Tarzan one. It's just like, come on. I don't know that they were like leaning into his Native American powers and Navajo trackers are a thing. In, no, no, no. I understand. I, I understand like, all that. But it's just like a whole, you know, like generations of them that went I, into the military. You know? I definitely get it. 
but every predator, almost every predator story has one. And after a while, it's I just agree. like, okay, all right. Now, this was even um, before the second movie came out. Keep that in that's mind. That's fair. You know what? That's fair. That's fair. The story was good. The art is troubling. Yeah. Not troubling. Not troubling. No, but, um, I mean, not, it's not great. <laughs> but it's not, it's, the art, the art is, is, isn't great. Um, and that's like, I was kind of surprised to find Evan Dorkin's name on it because, um, Evan Dorkin very quickly, uh, would make a name for himself drawing things like Dork and Milk and Cheese yeah. and, um, he had his own uh, self-published book called, I think it was called Hectic Planet, um, yes. which was much more in line with the style we we find familiar today. Very comical, um, very cartoonish. This was like almost like Tank Girl-esque. It kind of looks like he's fighting you know? his own style in it. Like he's like, don't uh, do what I yeah. would do. Don't do what I would just, do. It's unusual. Yeah. It's unusual to see this from him. Um, I, I, I'm giving this a skimmit as well because I didn't really love the art, but- He's also finding himself, as you said. Yeah. You're one ugly mother. Round one. Fight. Let's move Let's along to somebody the predator has no business fighting. Madness <laughs> robot fighter. <laughs> yes. Next up, as Matt intimated, it is Predator versus Magnus Robot Fighter number one from Dark Horse slash Valiant. Uh, the year was 1992. This is written by John Ostrander and Jim Shooter with art by Lee Weeks. Here's your solicit. A Predator stalks Northam 4001, searching for his most prized trophy, the XO Manowar helmet. The stolen trophy has fallen into the hands of a certain gof. A man called Magnus. I don't know what gof means. I don't, I don't think either. it matters. I think they're Who's? like gophers because they live underground. Well, yeah, but Magnus isn't a gopher. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't he know. lives in the know. underground cities, doesn't he? I, I, I don't know. I quickly I realized know. I have never read any Magnus robot. We're going to get into it. We're <laughs> yeah. going to get into that exact same okay. situation with me. Uh, anyway, Magnus, who's still smashing strength has earned him the title Robot Fighter. Thus, the stage is set for the battle of the 41st century. Uh, there don't appear any credits at all within the pages of this comic book. Can you back me up on yeah, that? Yeah, no, I, didn't, I couldn't I didn't find didn't see any. them. But this was 1992 before they credited it was and stuff. And, so. um, you know, uh, whenever there's an intercompany crossover, usually... One company or the other does the heavy lifting, yeah. which is why like when you when there are when there is something uh, like amalgam where there are a lot of different ones, you've got one trade. That's all the Marvel ones and one trade. That's all the DC ones. Right. And you can definitely tell that they're kind of different. Um, Valiant used to put if I recall correctly, Valiant wasn't big on like title pages with credit boxes they would put their credits like in the margins of the white space on the first page of all their comics really yeah if you look at those old valiant comics from the early 90s they would just be like on the side next to the art on okay. page one that makes sense written by jim shooter we're reading a trade by whatever so it may just not have like might not have been in made there, it in. trade yeah may have, might have gotten totally cut off that makes sense uh, but a quick Google search revealed it was written by Shooter and Ostrander, and I knew it was Lee Weeks' art oh, yeah. for the second I laid eyes on it. Uh, I don't really know anything at all about Magnus Robot Fighter, <laughs> uh, except that he is a very secure man who is not afraid to rock a miniskirt. And brag about it. <laughs> and brag about it. Like, look, if you looked that good in a miniskirt, you'd wear one too. His girlfriend is mildly psychic, and he likes to smash robots. 
But he's more complicated than that because, of course, not all robots are evil. Sometimes humanity is the real enemy. I would go as far as to say that most of the time humanity is the real enemy. Uh, even when there are terrifying space hunters running around. <laughs> I did kind of enjoy how the group of shitty hunters were mirrored after British high society with their fox hunts and whatnot. Fat dudes on horseback yelling tally-ho and all that. Uh, that was kind of neat. Uh, I thought it was clever. Uh, the hunting club has a trophy that they're desperate to hide and one that the predator is desperate to find. Only Magnus stands in its way. Uh, we know from the solicit, it is an XO helmet. The solicit says it is the XO Manowar helmet, which maybe it is, but I thought that there was more than one suit. I don't know anything about XO Manowar either. I mean, I know enough, but I think there was just one. I know enough. I only know it from the modern stuff. I don't know anything about the uh, early days. I think it's pretty similar. Like there was only one. But uh, so the, the, the flashback story where we see the uh, inhabitant of the exo armor die killing the previous predator that was only like a few years prior like 3999 yeah. AD or whatever other people can wear and so it clearly not it was clearly not uh, you know Eric of Dacia or whatever the guy's name was. I don't know, maybe it was. It's Valiant. We're I don't talking think about. so. They weren't. The, it was not. A, it was not the Visigoth. <laughs> it was not the Visigoth barbarian. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, anyway, it's the Exo Man of War armor, which I thought was a clever little crossover. Um, he killed the uh, earlier predator some years previous. Now that predator's friend is back to claim its trophy or get its revenge or both. I'm not quite sure. Ostrander's script is pretty straightforward. It's very traditional comic book banter. Uh, I liked the take on the societal divide present even in the far future. I liked that Magnus was on the right side and that his only personality trait was not just robot fighting. He also likes to get sexy with his uh, sexy yeah. lady sometimes, you know, He's and, uh, you know, they got down in this comic and the robot and the, and the exo armor like to watch it's kinky. He's not a grief-stricken, conflicted orphan like Batman. He's just a guy who loves a girl who has psychic robot powers. Lee Weeks' art is wonderful. This would have been around the time that he was drawing Daredevil off and on for Marvel, uh, which is when I first got to know him. Obviously, his art would improve by leaps and bounds over time, which we will discuss later in this very episode. Predator versus Magnus Robot Fighter number one sets up an interesting conflict in a world I really know very little about. It's a short two-issue series. I might just check out the other half to see how it ends because this issue piqued my interest. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, the art was really great. I mean, Lee Weeks, and then you got Barry Windsor Smith on the cover, and both yeah, of them great cover. draw a badass Predator. Although, like, I mean, I get it. The Predator's not supposed to show up till later. You keep it low-key until it appears ah you know whatever right yeah but there was so much going on in this world that i was just a lot of magnus very little predator yeah and i felt i felt like i picked up a 2000 ad comic smack dab in the middle of just like what the hell am i reading you know like like i was dropped into mega city one just went whoa <laughs> i mean what's not bad it just made me realize very quickly i don't know anything oh yeah no about this same. character like i like i i still have no idea and i got a lot of stuff shaking my head a little bit trying to like okay just like it's it's not this comic's fault that this is not a good introduction to magnus robot fighter it's a perfectly good introduction to the predator but i would argue the predator does not have as much going on <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> i mean predator mythos relatively simple right you know the rules and and maybe i was a little lost because of that the comic book is not bad it's very well written it's very well drawn 
I, I really don't have any problems with it other than I just felt a little lost. That's on me, I suppose. I mean, I, I guess I will give it a buy it. <laughs> but I mean, that's what happens when you have a comic that's very well written and very well drawn. You give it a buy. It. I, I'm giving it a buy it. I just don't think it's a good introduction to this character. And if you want to know Magnus Robot Fighter, don't start here, is is my caveat. Well, sure. And and you know what? And I think that that's a fine caveat, Matt. But when when you have taken on the task that when you have accepted the duty laid at your feet by the cosmic long box. Right. Sometimes that's what you get. You got to, you got to do what you, you got to do. Comic, you get a comic where you're just like, I have no idea what's going on, but I liked it. I just fully admit, I, I guess I had an idea of Magnus robot fighter in my head. This was not that idea. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that's it. That's fair. That's okay. fair. And again, that's on me. Hey. Time to hunt. We're going in reverse order because now we're going to talk about the first ever Predator crossover. The second one was actually Magnus Robot Fighter. The first being Batman versus Predator. Number one from DC Dark Horse. It was 1991. This was written by Dave Gibbons with art by Andy Kubert and inks by Adam Kubert. The Kubert bros working together. I think it's adorable. We like to joke about how insane the Aliens Predator crossovers got in the early 2000s, but this was the first time Dark Horse took part in any intercompany crossover, and it was a huge deal back in 1991. Batman Predator was a massive sales success and would launch two more sequel crossovers, Blood Match and Blood Ties, all of which were really good, honestly. Here, Gibbons comes in to tell a Batman story first and foremost. Two mob bosses hire boxers to settle a score. Both boxers end up dead. There's a mystery here, and of course, the world's greatest detective is on the case. Both murders have strange circumstances and witnesses whose stories don't make a lot of sense. They all talk about invisible. They all talk about an invisible creature that killed the boxers or gangsters with guns, but left the unarmed alone. The reader doesn't even see a predator until the final act of the comic, and it's a brilliant choice. Gibbons understands that Batman can carry this book, and how he actually gets to face the Predator is the story. His Batman is calm, capable, and using his detective skills to draw the Predator's hunt away from the Gotham mob by making himself the largest threat, and therefore the most interesting target. It's cool because you could see Batman like literally flip a switch when he figures out what's going on and just start kicking the shit out of gangsters to get the Predator's attention. It's a great use of both characters. The Kuberts are incredible on art. So much so, Adam won an Eisner for his inking. I'm pretty sure this was Andy Kubert's first Batman work. I looked it up and I couldn't find anything before that. I know that they did an Adam Strange miniseries together, you know. Yeah, not as for DC, I, I think just for Yeah, Batman. but I don't know that he did. Well, yeah, no, in 1992, he's on X-Men. It's very soon after this, he's on X-Men at the very least. He brings his flashy action to the dark alleys of Gotham, and it works perfectly. Drawing Batman is one thing, but nailing a character design like the Predator is much more difficult. There's just more moving pieces to the costume. Luckily, Kubert has no problems making the Yautja look big, menacing, and a massive challenge for the bat. That's what that word was we couldn't figure out last week. The Yautja. <laughs> I don't get it. That's the Predator. That's their 
species. That's their species? We are human. Oh. They are yaucha, which I oh. assume they pronounce like or something. I don't know. Sure. When a crossover like this is taken seriously by the right creative team, you get incredible results like Batman versus Predator. This book was awesome and it was super yeah. fun to revisit it and i want to read all these again now because they were great i'm giving it a buy it to address what you said earlier uh this was a huge deal and i remember it at the time because this was the sort of comic that like the gas station spinner rack had oh yeah dc wanted to promote the hell out of this book and they wanted it in as many hands as possible and we are in 1992 we are still like living that batmania dream and yeah it was everywhere it was chunky too this was not like a, a little comic book this was a bigger no, was, book they put out it was thicker yeah, yeah. i think it was it, it, it predated prestige format but it was like so. it was thicker 48 pages um but uh, yeah it's it's really really great the art is beautiful i love the kuberts i love them i love them both like they were my own two sons and uh the the sequels are also like you said pretty fun like rodolfo dimaggio draw, draws one of them yeah uh rodolfo dimaggio uh for those of it though for those of you who don't know because the man fell off the face of the planet earth rodolfo dimaggio was an artist from the 90s that ended up drawing the tail end of chuck dixon's green arrow he is the co-creator of connor hawk and he is one of the best artists of that era i love the, one of the very best artists love of that him. era but yeah this is great the sequels are great at a certain point i know that um they were still popular enough that dc and dark horse put out a series of four trade paperbacks reprinting all of the batman versus predator crossovers yeah um, and if you can find them, they're awesome. Uh, but it's a huge buy. It's fantastic. Attention all units. The Predator has accessed level four. All doors have been secured. Stay on maximum alert. This thing must be stopped now. Taking it back in time a little bit farther, probably to a character that I would say had a little bit of inspiration for Batman. It's Tarzan versus Predator at the Earth's core, number one, from Dark Horse Comics, 1996. It's written by Walt Simonson with art by Lee Weeks. Here's your solicit. In the center of the Earth lies Pellucidar, the last bastion of primeval forest in the world. To Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle, this is sacred ground, but to the Predators, it is hunting ground. Dark Horse Comics is proud to present Tarzan vs. Predator at the Earth's Core by Walt Simonson and Lee Weeks. When Tarzan receives word that Pellucidar's greatest warriors and strongest beasts are being killed, and his friend David Innes, ruler of Pellucidar, has gone missing, there is no question that he must travel to the Earth's core to investigate. The people of Pellucidar rest a little easier, knowing that their protector is coming, and in this land of eternal noonday sun, the predators rest up for their greatest challenge yet. Hmm. Is it, though? <laughs> he is Tarzan. <laughs> Did you read the second issue? No, but he is also just Tarzan. Like, the Predators fought Batman, okay? I get it. Tarzan <laughs> kicks the shit out of this I, Predator. I, I will, like, look, I was, interested in an, I was interested enough in several of these comics that I plan to revisit the next ones. Anyway, 
Speaking of Lee Weeks, the legend is back, drawing this issue with a much more down-to-earth but no less crazy situation. Uh, I am not really a Tarzan guy, so I had no idea that he had all these stories where he was, like, battling weird dinosaur men at the center of the earth and oh, stuff yeah. like that. It's an Edgar Rice Burroughs, Tarzan at the, at yeah. the Earth's core is the name of the I one. get it. <laughs> and this <great>. issue, <laughs> This issue follows directly up from one of the Edgar Rice Burroughs stories of that nature. I believe it was also called At Earth's Core. Yep. Tarzan receives a distress call from his friend, the emperor of the hidden nation, Pellucidar. Unfortunately, Tarzan is still set in the real world of the early 20th century. So by the time he makes his way to his buddy, it is too late. Some other shithead is in charge now, and his friend's wife is now a scantily clad, wine-pouring slave maiden. There's no time to worry about any of that, though, because tribes people are being kidnapped by a group of predators from outer space called Horribs so, okay, by the natives, real quick, that which scene, I assume are, means horrible. It's yeah. like sure for horrible. Yeah, that scene where he he comes in and sees the wife pouring wine. He's like, no, it's written so weird because he goes, that's Diane the Beautiful, comma David's wife, a slave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like, is her name Diane the Beautiful? No, I think <laughs> her name is Diane. But Tarzan was raised to talk by monkeys or whatever. That's I don't Diane, know. comma the beautiful David's wife, slave. <laughs> No, no. I think that's just Tarzan, you know, being raised. He doesn't have any problems speaking through the rest of this, though. He's fucking fine. I understand, (laughs) man. I don't. I think it's a misplaced Maybe she was called. Maybe she. Maybe she was being called Diane the Beautiful because she was the wife of the emperor. You know, I don't know. Maybe, but that seems a little, you know. But yes, I agree. It was very strange. (laughs) I agree. Uh, This time, the predators are hunting in packs setting up very advanced base camps and just flying their ship around willy-nilly, which is not really behavior I'm used to seeing from the Predator, but who cares? It's interesting. Tarzan escapes his would-be captor to rescue his wife Jane and his traveling companions from mortal danger, but he's caught before he can even get out the door, which may have just been his plan all along. We get even less of the Predator in this issue than we did in my previous review, uh, because this miniseries is four issues long. No quick one or two and done stories here. This is a whole ass miniseries. This time, Walt Simonson is at the helm and he seems very much at home writing The Lord of the Apes. Again, uh, Weeks has only gotten better since the last time we saw him. As of this issue, Magnus versus Predator would have been about four years ago. And uh, we also have some beautiful, lush color, courtesy of Perry McNamee. This story has us back in the jungle, a place we're very used to seeing the Predator operate. And so the issue is uh, just bathed in beautiful shades of green. It's it's gorgeous. Like I said, there's even less of the Predator action in Tarzan versus Predator number one than in some of our other books from this week, which is what happens when you choose from features of different lengths. But I think that this was successful enough to set up an interesting premise a fight that seems lopsided at first glance, though really isn't. So see, I gave him credit. <laughs> a complex side story beyond just the beast hunts man hook. All of which are hallmarks of an excellent Predator story. Tarzan versus Predator at Earth's core number one gets a buy it. I thought it was awesome. Yeah, I love this miniseries. And like, this is hands down my favorite. If, if you're doing any Predator crossovers, this is the one. It's so great because they write Tarzan as this very, I mean, he obviously is very capable. He's a badass. This is Tarzan later in his life where he has visited England and like he wears clothes. He puts yeah, on the loincloth yeah. when he's doing his he lives business. In a hall. He lives know? in a house. Yeah. 
But, he, you know, sometimes Kazar's got to do Kazar shit. Sure. He puts on right. the loincloth when he's doing business and in this. Like, the difference between Tarzan and Batman. And I get it. The Predator fought Batman. Batman's a total badass. It goes toe-to-toe with gods. You know what Tarzan's not afraid to do? Slit your throat. Tarzan <laughs> is a badass. And he understands the That's laws fair. of the jungle. <laughs> and like, when it comes down, like, in issue two, when they really start getting into Tarzan-Predator fight scenes, they are awesome and this tarzan is a murderer and i loved it <laughs> it's killer be killed tarzan yeah. gets it and i get it like there's a whole you know that that white savior behind tarzan that follows the character and i totally get it and and i'm not saying I, i'm not going to go into you know everything behind it i do love the character i love the edgar rice burroughs stories and this team very much pays attention. They also love those stories and they write Tarzan is very capable. And yeah. beyond that, he's not just the leader of these like tribesmen. He is their friend. They respect yeah, there's each other. actual There's actual dialogue about that in yeah. the thing where uh, the ambassador, the United States ambassador comes to Tarzan and he's like, yo, we need you to investigate our team disappearing. Yeah. They're like, whoa, 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 you're bringing a woman? And Tarzan's like, slow down. Whoa, 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 what? You're bringing these black people? And Tarzan's like, okay, shut up. Well, he's like, you're bringing these wild men? And he's like, they're yeah, not savages, wild men. They're, they're he says, guards he says, or whatever. They're not savages. They're, and he's like, these savages are, are not my subjects. They are my friends. Right. Yeah. He's like, if you want to bring your yeah. slaves, I understand. He's like, these are not my slaves or subjects. Like, right. these are friends and we're going to need them. And when it comes down to it, yeah, the military guys all get killed really fast. And you know who? Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Bunch of badasses. Tarzan and the boys. <laughs> well, you know, and here's a spoiler for the book that I really liked. Uh, um, there's a scene where they find the tribesmen that got hit when they were for when a uh, Jane was taken. Right. Right. The nephew of the guy that's with Tarzan is like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll tell your father you know, that you died bravely. And Tarzan's like, look, like he's covered in their blood. Yeah. And they did not decapitate him. They laid him out next to his weapon as a sign of respect. Like they fought him. Yeah. And he gave them the business and they were like respect. Yeah. Cause there was like predator blood everywhere. Oh yeah. <laughs> it was badass. No, this book. Oh, and am- if you look very closely at the art, there's, if you look closely at the art in that scene underneath the guy's spear is the broken tip of one of those retractable predator knives. Yeah. yeah. No, this book uh, is one fantastic. of those like little Wolverine blades. I'm yeah, giving it, was, it, it was very good. Huge buy it. Love this. Introducing Alien vs. Predator for the 64-bit Atari Jaguar. You might not want to play it alone. Next, we jump from the center of the earth to the Civil War with Predator. Hell, come a walking. Number one from Dark Horse. This is written by Nancy Collins with art by Dean Ormston. Here's your solicit. It's the Civil War, a nation divided against itself, and the once green countryside runs red with blood. Even as the conflict destroys towns and families, it serves as bait. Bait for a predator. When two opposing bands of soldiers bear witness to the predator's gruesome atrocities, they realize they have an enemy greater than each other. But can they lay aside their differences long enough to defeat their common foe? 
the predator appearing at different times in human history was still a fairly new idea back in 1998, and horror novelist Nancy Collins does a very convincing job with her Civil War setting. The story sets up characters to root for on both sides of the human conflict, and she uses them to tell some very spooky stories as they try and guess what is in the Ozark Woods hunting them. Collins had written other horror comics before this, including Swamp Thing and the Topps classic Jason versus Leatherface, and she brings a decidedly horror tone to this Predator story. Um, I can't guarantee that the Jason versus Leatherface counts as a classic, but <laughs> no. Uh, but I will. I will say this: that uh, Nancy Collins wrote enough Swamp Thing yeah. issues, issues one ten through one thirty eight, that DC put out a Swamp Thing by Nancy Collins omnibus in twenty twenty. No kidding. All right. Yeah, it's out of print. Uh, she also took place in the, as far as I know, the first and only Vertigo crossover event, the Children's Crusade, which ran through a bunch of Vertigo annuals that year. Fair enough. So. It's easy to forget that Dean Ormston has been around for as long as he has, and even back in 1998, his heart was excellent. Before he co-created The Black Hammer with Jeff Lemire, Ormston caught my attention in the pages of Mike Carey's Lucifer. His creepy, thin-lined style was perfect for the Vertigo titles he worked on, like Sandman, House of Secrets, and others, so he might not be the first name you'd think of for a Predator comic, but he is fantastic here. Most of the issue is Confederate and Union soldiers, of course, but when the Predator does show up, it is scary as hell, and Ormston nails it. I ended up reading the second issue of this mini, and the story ends just as good as it started. More than two issues of the story may not have worked so well, but Hell Come Walkin' is a tight two-issue mini that Marvel should take note of now that they have the rights to Predator in their defense. They didn't lead off with Predator versus Wolverine, but you know it's got to be in the works. I'm giving this a buy it. I am actually really stunned at their restraint, considering they are. It's impressive. Uh, uh, they're, uh, they are. Uh, I mean, what? We're two years deep into their aliens, uh, a year deep into their aliens. And the aliens uh, haven't touched anybody in the not, MCU yet. <laughs> not even a whiff. Yeah. Not even a whiff, except for maybe like on they did a variant cover month or something. Didn't yeah, they? that's about it. Um, Dean Ormston. Uh, I would say that his art uh, at least in this comic is almost Kev Walker esque. Kev Walker also draws with a very thin yeah. angular style and like chunky kind of characters. And yeah. Um, and it's very like, we'll talk about him shortly, Yeah, but it's, it's, it's very fitting. I thought that this comic was great. I've never read anything by Nancy Collins. And I know that I joked about it earlier, but because her name immediately evokes thoughts of Jackie Collins, the romance novelist, but she is her own woman. Uh, and her work in this comic was awesome. And, uh, the art was tremendous. I loved it. It's a buy it. Her swamp thing is really good too. Check it out. It it's fun, fun stuff. Issues, issues 110 through 138. There's a lot of it to enjoy. You're a predator on a planet infested with aliens. You've got high-tech weapons. They've got mutant guardians with special powers and the big mean queen that'll kill to protect her eggs. Okay, it had to it had to happen. We we met Batman. Later they met Superman. It was bound to occur sooner or later. We're talking now about Predator versus the JLA or as this is branded JLA versus Predator. It's a one-shot from DC. And Dark Horse, circa 2001. Uh, 
we we are going to uh, we are going to circle back around to what I said earlier about how you can always tell which side of the publishing uh, team up actually published the book. Oh sure. This one's written by John Astrander with art by Graham Nolan. Here's your solicit. This startling one shot features another face off between the vicious predators and the man of steel this time together with the JLA. A cadre of predators have acquired their own superhuman powers and aren't leaving earth without our heroes heads as trophies. Co-published with dark horse comics prestige format. I mean, I left it in there because it seems important, and I'll mention it later. Oh, it is prestigious. <laughs> it, is pre- it is prestigious. prestigious. Uh, John Ostrander is back again delivering another very classic comic book script. It seems kind of cheesy, but in hindsight, it's pretty brilliant. It's very likely that this comic pulled double duty as the first exposure to the Predator to comic book fans and the first exposure to the JLA for diehard Predator buffs. So having all of the characters announcing every action, like when the three dots of the Predator's tracking laser take aim, or when Green Lantern uses his power ring, it serves to give both audiences everything they need to enjoy the story. That said, for seasoned vets of both franchises, it might read a little stale. And the Dominator plot to clone superpowered predators is awesome in theory. Having one fly around in a Superman cape is ridiculous in practice. <laughs> also, one is one gets Plastic Man powers and he turns into an airplane and shoots airplane guns. And it's very silly looking. Legendary Batman artist Graham Nolan does fine work here, mostly delivering solid superhero action, but his predator is way too toned down. You can tell that DC took the lead on this crossover and it is mostly watered down for the kiddies. JLA versus Predator came out during a time when I gleefully bought every single prestige format JLA series or one shot that DC cared to publish. And this was no different. Looking back, it's nostalgic fun. But not great as far as Predator stories go. I'm giving it a skim it. I hated this. <laughs> okay. I, I figured I, you would. I hated it so much. I, this was 2001. There's no way it was anybody's first, like, foray into Predator no, at this point. No, come on now. I'm saying, like, it is depth. It's absolutely possible. Like, there are lots of people, even still today, that have never read a superhero comic. I mean, okay, fine, whatever. But it, I'm sorry. This is so dated. And, like... It, the predator is all getting powers and stuff for dumb reasons. <laughs> uh, like, look, come I, on. I, if I've this now, happened in if they if this happened in 1975, I'd go. All right, look, <laughs> sure. <laughs> my see, my my issue is not like I I think that the the idea that it is a dominator plot and these are predator clones and not like real predators. I'm sure. Whatever. Fine. <laughs> the fact that they are dressed up like the Justice League is patently ridiculous. It's stupid. <laughs> it's, it's just very dumb. stupid. No. Yeah, no, it's dumb. It's they, dumb. They just pushed this one too far and they didn't need to. I get why they did, because on paper, if predators show up to fight the JLA, they just lose really, really bad and really fast. And that was that. You know, whatever. They this is just forced. I didn't care about it. I don't think it's good Graham Nolan work, and I like Graham Nolan. I think it's got moments of good, and then a lot of it is not I, great. I can't give it anything but a leave it. I, I hated it. I hate read this. <laughs> mm, yeah, I mean, that's fair. Like I, I, like, I will admit this fully. There's a scene where Kyle and Superman, Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern, and Superman 
are searching the watchtower and they find the severed head of John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, on a pike. And it is one of the silliest. <laughs> it's so it's, dumb it's, looking. It, it's supposed to be terrifying, but it is it's very so silly looking. Dumb looking. Um, but I did appreciate the fact that like this did take place in continuity in the context of the DC meets Predator verse, right? Fine. So like Batman and Superman knew who these guys were. I thought sure. that was cool. Sure. Also, John Jones, shapeshifter, not a big deal if his head gets cut off. So well, yeah, I mean, and that's quickly addressed by the right. comic. But like you when you see that, when you see it in the book, and it's just like he's got this dumb looking guy. He's got this goofy looking look on his face. It's just like that's very silly. Yeah, it was stupid. Vive el enfrentamiento. Aliens contra depredador. Ahora el exclusivo dos pack para doble emoción. Now, normally we don't do this, but we're going to jump to modern day to go full circle and review I'm, Predator number I'm one. Sure. We did this one. Alien number one. Did we do this today? Okay, well, then we'll, just, sure then we we'll call it equal opportunity here for Predators and Aliens. All right. We're going to cover yeah. Predator number one came out just yesterday from Marvel 2022. This is came out today. By when they hear this, it'll be yesterday, I guess. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Written by Ed Brisson with art by Kev Walker. We just talked about him. Here's your solicit. Hunt, kill, repeat. In the near future, a young girl sees her family slaughtered by the deadliest and most feared hunter in the universe. You guessed it. A predator. Years later, though her ship is barely holding together and food is running short, Theta won't stop stalking the spaceways until the Yauchta monster who killed her family is dead. Or she is! Ed, Ed Brisson, who wrote Iron Fist and Ghost Rider, and Kev Walker, who worked on Doctor Strange and Doctor Afra, no relation, forge a violent, heartbreaking, and unforgettable new chapter in the Predator saga. Not to be missed! Jokes on you, Doctor Afra is actually the descendant of Doctor Strange. No kidding. Go figure. Yeah. One, th- I mean, that would make sense because everyone's related to everyone in Star Wars, apparently. One through line <laughs> you may have noticed in all of our reviews is the Predator formula. I mentioned it earlier, but it's basically an unstoppable bad guy slasher flick from the victim's or sole survivor's point of view. Brisson shows he understands the formula, but he's able to put his own spin on it, and the plot works very well. Theta gave me Ripley from Alien vibes. She's a survivor that's dealt with predators in the past, but unlike Ripley, she is running straight towards the predators. The story is set in a future reminiscent of Alien as well, with bulky ships that make space travel possible, but still kind of a pain in the ass. The script works very well, jumping from Theta's past to present, setting up a classic revenge story in the vein of old westerns or kung fu flicks. You killed my family. Now I'm coming to kill you type thing. Kev Walker. Oh, very, uh, like above snakes. Exactly. was a comic we just reviewed that had that's the very same formula. Kev Walker is an artist I have followed for a while. He is another one of those creators that just seems to have come onto the scene fully fledged and oozing with style. But this comic is easily some of his best work. His chunky style really lends itself to the predator design and his action panels, whether it's a predator taking apart an unsuspecting crew or a ship crash landing are huge and cinematic in scope. They're just gorgeous. 
This is an excellent start to the Predator's tenure at Marvel, and I am glad that they waited at least one issue before we see their superheroes line up to be threatened at first by the monster and then ultimately kick its ass. (laughs) (laughs) This is a buy it. It's a great start for Predator at Marvel, and I know we're joking about it, but had you told me that this is going to be the first story, Matt, do you want to bet? Do you think the first story will be a woman hunting down predators that killed her family or predator versus Wolverine? <laughs> I would have put a hundred million dollars on predator versus Wolverine. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, unlike something like star Wars, uh, though, I mean, star Wars, you get both, but unlike something like star Wars, I think that aliens and predator, are much better served by being a series of limited series. Yes. You know what I'm saying? I totally agree. Like Predator, Concrete Jungle, Predator, All Hell's a Poppin', yeah. you know, or whatever. <laughs> that wasn't the name of it. <laughs> um, but uh, but instead of, instead of that, we have just like Aliens, and it's ongoing, and now we have Predator, and it's ongoing, and that's interesting but i wonder how they're going to sustain that because this cannot be this woman's story forever no this is a story that has a finite shelf life and i'm saying it's four to six issues maybe 12 maybe and um but predator could easily become another story that just continues after that. no it's true and that's, that's what, what they've done with aliens that's where it strikes me as odd that marvel would have decided to market it as ongoing when you know that they will just as easily put out a new number one sure and say this one's predator sure you know cooler than the other side of the pillow number one but joe then you can have two predator comics See? oh Come what on. have i done what are you thinking it's like it's like i forgot it's like this is my first day or something um anyway i also think that unlike somebody like conan who you can technically fold into the marvel universe I would and argue, have it make fight that urge <laughs> no uh, like yeah yes fight the urge i like but at least conan makes some semblance of sense because you've got cool and gath and blah 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 like you there are ways that you can bring conan into the marvel universe sure. i think by default the setting should be that predator and alien stand alone not even together uh, amongst themselves but alone because once you incorporate, once you decide that, oh, this is a universe where not only are there xenomorphs, but also there are predators. Oh, but also there are space gods. Right. Um, also, a, you know, there's the, the Shi'ar. With like Superman fighting the predator like, or Superman fighting it. Like that fight's over. It, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's diminishing returns, yeah. right? Like I, I, I would argue like the reason Alien works so well is because even in a world where humanity has developed interstellar space flight, meeting an alien is still the scariest f-ing thing that has ever happened. Right. Because they're, they are monsters that take right. people apart. The predator, same thing. Monster that takes people apart. If the predator's right. in the and Marvel it, but universe, that, but like, sword like, just also, arrests them. Sword's like, all right, right. Yeah, you can't right. hunt here. You're under well, and also, And it's like, and it's also like, the, the the more you add to it, the more you connect it, the less impressive the thing becomes. Yes. And I think it works when they're on their own. And this works. It's great. Kev Walker is tremendous. I love his work. Just keeps getting better. That guy's great. And um, yeah, this is a huge buy it for me. And uh, Ed Brisson, good job. Uh, like he's on a roll at Marvel. I've enjoyed the last couple things he's done. Yeah, definitely. 
need more THN comic reviews, check out our ludicrous speed reviews over at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Sometimes we actually remember to write them. If you want to know more about the comics we just talked about, check out our show notes where you can find links with more info and hit us up in the Back Issues channel of our Discord to give us your thoughts. There's also the comic, uh, Cosmic Longbox uh, new comic review show channel. You can do that as well. Yeah, sure. Matt, before we move on, we need to pick one of these comics to enter the THN private collection. It's the Tarzan Tarzan Predator crossover, no doubt, because it does the right thing. I mean, we always know, well, the Predator's not going to kill Batman. Yeah, the Predator's probably not going to kill Superman. <laughs> you know? But you go into the Predator versus Tarzan thinking, well, this is not a character that's around a lot in Dark Horse other than miniseries. They can do whatever they want with this story. And like you said, I mean, it's just Tarzan. What's he going to do? What does he do? He kills several predators with his bare hands and it's awesome and not to mention lee weeks on art love that dude i mean it just goes to show like while the formula may seem very simple and i can see how some people are like well i'm not even interested in these comics because you know the formula every time you can still do really cool things within that formula especially with this predator character Whereas JLA Predator, I would argue, was a lackluster failure that was overthought, overengineered, and just bad. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm going to give it to Tarzan versus Predator as well. Um, if for no other reason than I went into it thinking uh, that I did not care about Tarzan and I was not like a fan of the character. And at the end of it, I was like, I would like to know immediately. What happens next to Tarzan, please? There is a lot uh, of great Dark Horse Tarzan stuff. I'm sure there is, there and really it's like is. it's not that I don't have re- it's not that I don't have respect for the creation or or the or the writer or anything like that. It's just not really my cup of tea. Sure, um, it's like you know, it's just not. It's never been my thing. He's no but, Kazar. I'll give you that. I mean, I understand that Kazar is Tarzan, <laughs> but Kazar also exists on a planet with the X Men. So. I get it. I get it. Yeah, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's Tarzan versus Predator at the Earth score number one. It was really, really well done. And Lee Weeks, Lee Weeks has been one of my favorite comic book artists Same for here. a very, very long time. And I, Weeks is a top I 10 would, guy for me, easily. I would kill for a page of his art from this book. I would literally kill someone for it. Somebody I like, I would kill you. For a page no, you would, of his heart. <laughs> you wouldn't kill me. You'd kill somebody that you like a little bit less than me. Joe, let's talk about some comics that don't feature the Predator for a change. We're here in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, and if we're here, we must be talking about next week's comics. So let's slip out of our homemade Predator armor, take off our cardboard helmets to reveal our own ugly motherfucker faces and tell these nerds about our must-read picks for next Wednesday, August 17th. My pick for next week is 20th Century Men, number one from Image Comics. It's $3.99. It's written by Dennis Camp with art by S. Morian. A lot of... This guy is not good enough for a first name, I guess. Here's your solicit. At the end of the 20th century, superheroes, geniuses, madmen, and activists rush toward World War III. A Soviet 
iron hero, a superpowered American president, an insane cyborg soldier, an Afghan woman hell-bent on building a better life for her people. These strange yet familiar beings collide in a story that mixes history, politics, and comic book mythology into something totally new. Welcome to 20th Century Men, where the edges of our reality and fiction touch, overlap, dot, 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 and then explode. Oh. You know, uh, sounds great. Sounds kind of like a Black Hammer-esque, like, homage to familiar superhero tropes placed into another situation. Who and are these I, creators? Are they brand new? Oh, Dennis Camp is the new writer of Bloodshot. But oh. I think it sounds great. The cover is cool. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. My pick for next week is Parasomnia, colon, The Dreaming God. Number one, it's from Dark Horse. It's $3.99. It's written by Cullen Bunn with artist Andrea Muti. Here's your solicit. Cullen Bunn, Harrow County, and Andrea Muti, Bunny Mask, return. Those are comic books they worked on, by the way. Return with their hit adventure tale of two worlds split between dreams and reality. As the hunt for his missing son continues, our hero shifts worlds from the nightmarish Lovecraftian dreamscape to a cyberpunk metropolis where a ruthless cult continues to plague him and reality and fantasy continue to blur. A visually stunning dark fantasy wearing its pulp fiction influences on its sleeve and setting up an intriguing mystery. And that was, but why though? Also, a podcast, okay? So what are we doing wrong? How do we get our shit on covers? I'm sick of this, all right? We loved I guess, Parasomnia. We, you, I guess uh, we just need to know more comic book creators. We loved Parasomnia. The first one, I believe I reviewed it. I'll have a link to that in the notes as well. It's just a kick-ass story. Andrea Moody. I thought it, that I did, but I could be wrong. It, it doesn't matter. Here. Andrea Moody is one of those artists that is just becoming like a must-buy type thing. I almost don't care what he's working on. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. If you look at the, his work on Maniac of New York, it's completely different from this but you can still see the style there. When Cullen Bunn is writing his own stuff, he is at his best. And Parasomnia was super creepy, super weird, and I've got to see where this is going. And I'm glad that it sold well enough that we get the other end of the story because the first one ended very suddenly and very strangely, and I went, well, there better be more of this. So glad to have it back. (laughs) Parasomnia, my pick for next week. The THN trade of the week for August 17th goes to The Art of Battletoads hardcover. Battletoads. Just kidding. Battletoads. Just kidding. <laughs> like, do we need an Art of Battletoads? Is there like... <laughs> uh, I mean, the art, of, the art of Battletoads is really great. Is it? But, uh, I don't know if we okay. need a hardcover yeah, version. I don't know. Maybe there's people screaming for it. I don't know. Maybe. The real THN trade of the week is the Robin and Batman hardcover from DC. It's $24.99. It's written by Jeff Lemire with art by Dustin Nguyen. Here's your solicit. The legendary story of Batman and Robin has reached nearly mythic proportions. The crime-fighting dynamic duo are always one step ahead of the criminals they pursue, and no case is too big for the pair. This isn't that story. This is the story of a young Dick Grayson, newly orphaned, struggling to find his way in a strange, difficult, dark new world. This is the story of Robin and Batman, collecting Robin and Batman, number one through three. Uh, this is the creator of, uh, of course, Little Monsters at Image, also uh, Ascender and Descender, and uh, they are a great team together. And um, Robin and Batman. This almost got your best issue of the year. It almost did there. There's I think it was Robin and Batman, either one, number one or number two, um, that had such a 
wonderful, chilling, disturbing, gross character moment between Batman, Robin and Alfred after a case. Oh, it's the second issue because he goes and meets the teen Titans. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, or he takes, he takes them to the, um, he takes them to the JLA satellite where he meets the teen Titans, uh, for the first time. It's so good. I don't want to spoil how that ends. Um, but at the end of it, I felt like Alfred did at the end of that scene. It, uh, absolutely wonderful. Please check this out. It's great. You can find links with more info on our picks in our show notes, and we always post our must-read picks on our Discord, Twitter, and Facebook every Wednesday so you can make an informed buying decision at your local comic shop. But let us know what you thought of our picks in the new comics channel of our Discord. Are we right on, Daddy-O? Way off? Uh, way off honky? Way off honky? <laughs> yeah. Should we have picked the Art of Battletoads hardcover for real? I don't know. For record, we are not anti-Battletoads. I will not hear that, okay? I've had sex with too many Battletoads to be anti-Battletoad, so don't come at me, all right? I'm just going to leave that there. <laughs> I'm going to let that lie. Battletoads. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 674 next week back to reviewing new comics you guessed it and we're gonna give you a sneak peek at our patreon extra if you want to wrap about this week's episode comics that you are currently reading or have read or any of the weekly nerdy news that we are following hit us up on our live call-in show it's called thn cover to cover we do it every saturday at 11 central time you can watch the broadcast live on our facebook page if you want to play along you got to join our discord learn how to chat or talk with us live on the show there and don't forget we set you up with a question of the week uh this week's question came from me what is your favorite or most hated plot point in comics that has that has no reason to exist for example why can't Cyclops control his optic blasts after being resurrected on Krakoa? Wouldn't they just fix him? There's nothing about brain damage in DNA. There's nothing about bonking your head real bad that changes your DNA. Nothing. Is that still the thing? That hasn't been retconned? That's still the thing? Why he can't control it? when he takes The reason the why he can't control his optic blasts is because he only had one parachute when he right. his parents shoved him out of the plane and it had holes blasted in it from the Shi'ar that were trying to catch yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember that. I no, I'm and just saying that hasn't been retconned. That's still a that thing. That has not been retconned. Okay. Yeah, and and he used his he used his optic blasts for the very first time to slow their fall. Right. Not slow enough. He bonked his head, couldn't control his powers after that. Also kind of silly. I mean, I guess it is a force blast, but whatever. You know. It's force beam. Yeah, what do you want? So my answer is going to be mutant related too, and it's pissed me off for it. Right. But we'll get there. Uh, like it's going to be hard for me to come up with one that I think makes less sense than this. Uh, but we do need your question. I got one that makes less sense. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. That's fine. Please give us your question of the week suggestions. Keep them coming. You can do that on Facebook, on Twitter, over email. Uh, you can send them to the THN hotline. You can post them in the question of the week channel on our Discord. If you can't make it to cover to cover live, shoot an MP3 to two at nerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline. It's 402-819-4894. And you could and will be internet famous. Please keep your recorded messages on the shorter side so that we can share the air with all of the people that are there to play along live. We appreciate the fact that you want to participate and that you can't be there. We just ask that you keep it short. 
If you're new to the show and you'd rather lick a battle toad than listen to any more, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. By the way, you will not hallucinate if you lick battle toads. You'll just get your ass kicked. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without generosity of donors like our newest patron, Andrew Nikovich. I know that name. And I'm not sure why. I don't know if he why if he stopped and started, uh, but I don't care. He's back. That's all that matters, and it means yeah, love. It, 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 yeah, it, it matters not. All that no. matters is that Patreon sent us an email saying, "Welcome your new patron, Andrew Nikovich," and here we are welcoming him. It Thank you, Andrew. We need to mail out some stickers. We haven't done that for a little while. We've got to get that done. So there's a lot of things we need to do. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at Patreon.com/backslash/TwoHeadedNerd. You will hear all kinds of exclusive content there or you can make a one-time donation via paypal maybe you're in a hurry maybe you just sat down at the computer and you notice those three laser guided things come up on your head and you hear the noise and you're about to get your stuff blown up and you can just go donate and then you're dead before we go our weekly shout out goes to xenopedia the aliens versus predator fandom wiki which is no joke the most impressive fan resource i've ever seen while researching cosmic long box topics 100% they not kill only it. like and look i love marvel.fandom.com i love dc.fandom.com like i love those pages written by lunatics <laughs> not only not only did xenopedia have detailed breakdowns of all of my picks of the week i didn't bother to check matt's but i'm sure they're there as well yeah, i use them too but they came with fun behind the scenes information like my concrete jungle fun facts and the original publisher solicits from decades past literally that stuff that i read I, that i posted from predator number one was from dark horse word to you xeno nerds you were a huge help this week yeah and matt i think all of the links in the show notes this week need to go to xenopedia Dev, they all do uh, step your game up, Marvel and DC fandom. That shit. Not only is it usually incorrect, it is some of the most poorly written crap I've ever read in my life. <laughs> I mean, and a lot of it is just cribbed from Wikipedia. Right. But learn how to use a semicolon. That's all I'm saying. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just empty their semicolon all over your pile. This is the two-headed nerd <clears throat> signing off. That is vile.